is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. NFL fans know Matt Burke as a hardworking offensive lineman who spent four years as a member of the Baltimore Ravens. Burke, a 15-year NFL veteran who retired after his 2013 Super Bowl win with the Ravens, is also a devout Catholic, a father of eight, and a strong promoter of the pro-life cause. A member of the Knights of Columbus, the Harvard graduate was recently featured in a new documentary about St. Joseph that was produced by the Knights of Columbus. In our first segment today, we talk with Matt about his Catholic faith and his devotion to St. Joseph. In our second segment, we'll talk with David Naglieri, producer of the new film on St. Joseph. Here's our conversation with Matt Burke. Matt Burke, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Oh, my pleasure, George. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been a few years since you were in Baltimore playing for the Ravens. What have you been up to in your retirement? That's kind of a big question. Uh, <laughs> no, my family and I, we, uh, we ended up settling back, not right away, but we're back in Minnesota, where we're from. My wife and I, I think we left Baltimore. We had six children. Uh, we have eight now. We adopted two boys uh, about five years ago. And, um, you know, just in the throes of, uh, of family life, you know, big family, lots going on. But, uh, but all is good. All is good here. Have you stayed connected with the fans in Baltimore and, and some of the players that you you played with on the Ravens? Well, there's not many players left. It's been eight years, which is kind of an eternity NFL time. But uh, John Harbaugh is still there, and I do keep in touch with John. And you know, he had such a profound impact on my life as a as a man, not just as a football player. And uh, that was the reason why I left Minnesota behind and. I wanted to play for John Harbaugh because I knew he'd make me a better football player, but I also knew he'd make me a better man. And uh, I just really appreciate that. You know, as I look back on my career and, you know, winning the Super Bowl is great and all that, but it's, uh, it's the friendships and the relationships that you carry forward after football. And uh, John Harbaugh is just one of those special guys in my life. In, in what ways did he make you a better person? Uh, he, was, he was a great example. Um, he's a, he's a great, uh, great Catholic man, man of faith great husband, great father. We would just have amazing conversations um, about about life, you know. I mean, football coaches and football players, we spend so much time doing football, thinking about football, talking about football, but I can vividly remember, oh, I don't know, five or six conversations that John and I had that, you know, were about the most important things in life. And uh, you don't always get the chance to do that with, with coaches that you play for because, um, you know, just because whatever, uh, you know, guys aren't comfortable talking about it or, or guys figure when coaches see their players, they feel like they should always be talking about football, trying to figure out how to win the next game. But, you know, John's, John's about more than that. And uh, I just appreciate him for the man that he is. What's it like to be a man of faith in, on a professional, in, at the professional sports level? Like, do, you, do you get a chance to, to practice your faith at that level, or do you, are there other guys on the team? I, I know when you were there, you had Ray Lewis, who was very vocal about his faith, and you had the, the uh, Catholic chaplain, Father Watley, was there, Father Chris Watley. And 
what was it like to, to be a man of faith in the sports world? You know, I'd tell people they'd, they'd be surprised that the locker room is actually a very spiritual place. And every team I played on had team chaplains that were there all the time. Three of the four head coaches I played for were Catholics, so we had Catholic mass in the hotel the morning of games. So, you know, it's really one of the, probably one of the few places, workplaces in, in America where you're actually encouraged to grow in your walk. And um, everybody in the NFL is trying to figure it out, right? We're all young. You know, we've got these high-profile jobs. We've got the, a lot of the, the things. I mean, the world, the world's pulling at us in a lot of different directions. And I think it, at, least, at least in our hearts, we all know that nothing in the NFL is really true. You know, the money and the fame and the attention and all that. We, we know it's not true, and our, our hearts long for, for truth. And so um, the NFL environment, I mean, I really think it is conducive to guys asking the most important questions and, and seeking out the, the truth. And, um, you know, it's great. I, can, I don't know. I mean, I would say half the guys in the locker room have a Bible in their locker. Half of them are going to Bible studies. And you know, you're having these types of conversations. Sometimes it's in the – Sometimes it's in the cold tub after practice. Sometimes it's on a bus ride after a, a tough game. But, you know, playing the NFL is really hard. And um, we know that when you go through hard things, those things tend to tend to bring you closer to Christ. You've been very vocal about your Catholic upbringing. Uh, could you share a little bit of that? Are, are you a cradle Catholic? And what was it like growing up as a Catholic? Yeah, yeah, cradle Catholic, you know, born to two devout parents, um, went to Catholic school, always went to Mass on Sunday, all those types of things. So, yeah, that was a great blessing. That's not to say that I didn't stray away in my college years and early on in my football career. Um, you know, I, I walked away for a while, uh, but then ultimately, you know, football really helped bring me back and ultimately reclaim the faith uh, as my own. But, uh, you know, I'm just so, so grateful to be raised in the environment that I was, that I was raised in. I mean, where I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota in the eighties, you know, it just seemed like everybody was Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. There was, that was that was just the way it was. I just walked up the hill to a huge Catholic school, as did most of the kids in the neighborhood, and so it was really easy to be Catholic back then, and, and a great environment because you know school I went to, we were we were taught by nuns, and I was you know I, I knew in my heart at a very young age, I knew who made me, I knew what he did for me, and I knew what he expected of me, and uh, so I think that was that was really critical just as far as in, in my formation spiritually and, and as a person. You mentioned that you're a father of eight, and I know you're very committed to the pro-life cause. When you when you were here in Baltimore, you participated in, in the Maryland March for Life. Uh, I remember that. Uh, and, and your wife has a special connection to the movement as well. Could you, could you tell us about that? Yeah, my wife started volunteering long before I did. Um, that was just kind of her thing. And I was never really active in the movement until uh, one day my phone rang when I was playing for the Ravens, and it was Archbishop Laurie. And he said he got my number from my pastor and he wanted me to come speak at the Maryland March for Life. And you know, I'd never done anything like that publicly before. So I was a little bit nervous about it for, for whatever reason. But that it, it's, not an, it's not hyperbole to say that that night changed my life because I uh, participated in, a, in an event, in a public witness of being pro-life. But I also met so many amazingly courageous women there who um, they use the term abortion survivors, women who have had abortions and who are now staunch pro-life advocates. And that was just something really profound. You know, that really hit me. Um, 
I was thinking, my gosh, you know, if these women, these women are, they, they've been through it and they want to tell everybody that, you know, abortion is wrong and it's a bunch of lies and the pain lasts. Um, I thought, why are we not holding up these women? They, they, you know, they're the ones that should be, should be listened to. They, they, they should be heard, not some, not some football player. Um, and so I think that that, like I said, I was always, I always was pro-life, but I wasn't really doing pro-life, uh, until, uh, until that night. I'm, I'm thankful that my pastor gave Archbishop Lori my number and that he asked me to participate because, um, yeah, ever since then I've, I've, uh, I've tried to be, I've tried to be active. I've tried to, to like I said, do pro-life, um, because if, if you just are pro-life, that really doesn't do anything in the battle. I mean, that's good. But, uh, you know, I, I'd like to think that people of faith and, and us Catholics in particular, that we pride ourselves on being people of action and putting our faith into action. Um, so that was a that was a great night. Here in Baltimore, just a few blocks away from the Baltimore Basilica, there's a Planned, he- uh, Planned Parenthood facility and recently a pro-life Pregnancy Resource Center opened up right next to the Planned Parenthood. And I know something similar happened in, in your hometown through through your wife. Actually, could you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, there's uh, the pregnancy center opened up next to the Planned Parenthood clinic, and uh, and they put a uh, put a chapel in the in the pregnancy center and uh, celebrated mass and had exposition of the Blessed Sacrament facing you know facing the abortion clinic. Right. And um, a few years later, it, uh, it well they closed, they relocated, but uh, but they closed, and you know you you you, you it, 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 that. That's not the first time it's happened. It's not the second time. It's, that happens all the time. I mean, I go all. I'm fortunate to go all around the country, and I hear the, that exact same story all of the time, um, which is just so wonderful. And um, you know, light always triumphs darkness, right? We know that. And um, it's just a it's it, it's a beautiful thing, and just proof that uh, you know that, that that God wins in the end. And um, all we need to do is just keep being his faithful servants and uh, just doing individually what he's asking each of us to do in this, in this battle. The Knights of Columbus are putting out a documentary on St. Joseph in this year of St. Joseph. And you're a part of that. Could you tell us about your involvement there and your devotion to St. Joseph? Yeah, well, I mean, they just, they just asked me to, to get involved, to, to be interviewed for it. So it was, it was a great honor. You know, I'm, I'm a knight, uh, I think the Knights of Columbus is a absolutely wonderful organization. I mean, I talked about putting our faith in action. I don't think anybody does that better than the Knights. And the Knights is a great vehicle for men to do that. Um, you know, sometimes we want to do stuff, but we just don't know where to start or how to get involved. Well, if you become a Knight, it's real easy because there's, there's a bunch of things to choose from. And, 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 and you know, no... I don't know if any group has done more than the Knights of Columbus as far as the pro-life movement. Um, I know they've purchased over a thousand ultrasound machines for pregnancy resource centers all across the country, which is probably the number one thing in, uh, in persuading a woman to choose life for, for her child. But, uh, you know, as far as it goes for St. Joseph, you know, I like probably millions of other men uh, around the world did the consecration to St. Joseph this last year. And I thought, Man, how how I'm, I was 45 years old. How am I just kind of digging into St. Joseph now? You know, I kind of had joke. I said, I said St. Joseph has a bad PR guy uh, for the last 2,000 years um, because 
you know, if you listen, I, I, you know, my vocation is to, is, uh, to be a husband and a father. And there's no better example of that than St. Joseph. I mean, he is the example and, you know, he's just so such a man of virtue and so, um, so courageous and just, I mean, he's, He's the guy, um, and I think it's so helpful. I, I remember when I was a young football player, George, you know, they, they try to teach you all these things. You're in the classroom. You're learning the plays. You're out on the field. You're doing these drills to develop your footwork or your handwork or, or whatever. But then to watch a, a veteran guy who had been in the league a long time, to watch him put it all together and go out there and actually do it and actually block somebody, to see what it looked like when it was like, wow, that's, that's that's what I'm striving for. It was so helpful and so encouraging and inspirational. And I feel like St. Joseph is that for all the husbands and fathers out there. When, when you were in Baltimore, you were involved in a reading project, uh, Ready, Set, Read. Uh, is that still active? And could you tell us how that works? It's not still active. It was through my foundation. You know, when I was out there, I had my foundation going and the, the corporate community in Baltimore got behind it a lot. And we had over 100,000 kids in the program the last year that we were there, um, but just building on literacy, and uh, which is, you know, is the foundation of every, every child's academic career, if you will. And so uh, we had a couple different programs, a couple, couple different strategies on how to get books in kids' hands and how to get them to, to read more at, uh, at, at a younger age and start developing those skills that they're, that they're going to use for the, for the rest of their life. But, I'm still kind of in awe of when I showed up to Baltimore, you know, as a long in the tooth veteran football player. Um, and I was an offensive lineman. So not, not a lot of sex appeal there, George, um, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the whole community, uh, but the corporate community included really kind of embraced me and my family and what we were trying to do at the foundation and, and got behind it. And that's, that's why we were able to have such a broad reach was because of the, because of the help of so many great corporate partners out there. And the people of Baltimore are very proud of Baltimore. Um, there's kind of this Baltimore pride thing that, uh, that really is admirable. And uh, people who are from there, they care deeply about their community. They want to, they want to make it better. And um, that was, that was evident from, from day one when we were there. So I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of the way that the people treated us when our, our four years there, those were, those were four great years there for, for me and my family. Well, we all enjoyed watching you play and, and just having you in the community, I think was a big thing for all, all the people of Baltimore. Well, Matt Burke, thanks so Appreciate much that. for being here again and, and stay in touch with us. That would be great, George. Let's not wait, let's not wait 10 more years to talk again. huh? <laughs> That's right. When we come back, we'll talk with David Naglieri, the producer of a new Knights of Columbus documentary on St. Joseph called St. Joseph, Our Spiritual Father. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. We'll be back in a moment. a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests served for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. 
Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. As a team of runners carried a flaming torch through the streets leading to St. Gabriel Church in Woodlawn November 24th, more than 300 Hispanic Catholics from throughout the Archdiocese of Baltimore received them with tossed flower petals, traditional dances, and Marian songs. The Guadalupe torch, accompanied by images of Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Juan Diego, had already traveled more than 2,500 miles from Mexico City, where the flame was lit at the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe September 5th. It stayed burning in the Baltimore Archdiocese until November 26th, when a local team of runners resumed carrying the flame into the Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware. Its final destination is New York. The 19th Guadalupe Church Run is an annual pilgrimage that runs through five Mexican states and 14 American states over three months. Various runners from each location carry the torch during stretches through their diocese. The arrival of the Guadalupe Torch to Baltimore is a symbol of hope for the immigrant community, said Leah Salinas, the Archdiocese of Baltimore's Director of Hispanic Ministry. The devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe transcends borders and is an example of unity between people and cultures, says Salinas. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. The Knights of Columbus have recently produced a one-hour documentary on St. Joseph called St. Joseph, Our Spiritual Father. Joining us in this segment to talk about the project is David Naglieri, the film's producer. David, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, George. Great to be with you and appreciate uh, giving us a chance to speak about our, our documentary. Yeah, and what was the inspiration for this project? How did it get off the ground? Yeah, well, I think in the past year we had two providential events occur um, for, for us at the Knights of Columbus. One was Pope Francis last December calling for the year of St. Joseph. And then in February, a new Supreme Knight was elected. Um, that's uh, Patrick Kelly, who takes over as the CEO of the Knights of Columbus. And, uh, and Patrick Kelly has had a lifelong devotion to St. Joseph, and he considered it very you know, fortuitous, prophetic, whatever you want to call it, um, that the Pope Francis would call uh, for year of St. Joseph, um, the year he's elected Supreme Knight. And he went ahead and consecrated his tenure when he was installed uh, this past summer as a Supreme Knight um, to St. Joseph. And um, he turned to me, I've been producing documentaries and videos for the Knights of Columbus for many years, and, and wanted to explore producing a documentary film that would shed light on who St. Joseph is and highlight devotion to him and promote devotion to St. Joseph during this year of St. Joseph. So that was kind of the inspiration for the project. And uh, we tried to rush it, obviously, because we had limited time. Um, so we began working on it in March. We traveled around the world, uh, interviewed experts, historians, theologians, individuals with uh, devotions to St. Joseph, including um, Father Donald Calloway, of course, who wrote the best-selling book, Consecration of St. Joseph. Um, and then, then we also told stories. So we highlight the witnesses of several individuals with remarkable stories of devotion to St. Joseph. And we package that together into a one-hour documentary that we feel really um, tells the full story of who St. Joseph is, um, why we need to follow his example, and uh, why devotion to St. Joseph can transform somebody's life. In our last segment, we spoke with Matt Burke, the former Baltimore Raven, who has a strong devotion to St. Joseph, and, and he's featured in this, in this documentary. Who are some of the other folks that you interviewed? 
Yeah, so we interviewed kind of a wide variety. Um, um, we interviewed Father Donald Calloway, who I mentioned, Mother Mary Agnes Donovan of the Sisters of Life, Life um, Devin Schatt, who is a leader in Devotion to St. Joseph, um, Tim Gray, Dr. Tim Gray from the Augusta Institute, several other theologians, professors. And then we dived into personal individual stories of individuals who had kind of transformative impact uh, with their devotion to St. Joseph. And, and one example is uh, Shimon Chizik, who is a fellow Knight of Columbus, and he actually leads the Knights of Columbus in Poland. He tells the remarkable story of the priest political prisoners in Dachau, the Nazi concentration camp, and he found out that his grandfather was with those political prisoners. And uh, just really quickly to rehash the story, they did a, a, a consecration to St. Joseph. Um, and the day they began their consecration in the, in the prison in Dachau was the same day that Heinrich Himmler signed their order of execution. Wow. And they completed their consecration to St. Joseph. And um, a week later, uh, U.S. Allied forces liberated Dachau, saved their lives, and they found the paperwork. Um, the Allies liberated them at 5 p.m. in the afternoon. They were to be execute, executed at 9 o'clock that night. And all of those 800 uh, priests and lay people who were Polish citizens all credited St. Joseph with saving their lives. And they began an annual pilgrimage to the shrine of St. Joseph of Kalisz in Poland to render thanks and gratitude to St. Joseph for saving them. And that's just one of the beautiful stories we tell. There's six individual stories. Matt Burke, who you had a chance to speak to, gives his own reflection as someone who was an offensive lineman, who was a protector of quarterbacks, and how he saw St. Joseph as an inspiration because he was a protector, protector of the Holy Family. And then how he becomes a foster father, right? And he can kind of recognize that, you know, that connection to St. Joseph. And so we have a lot of different stories like that, six of them actually, personal witnesses, all kind of teasing out different aspects of St. Joseph's remarkable legacy, which is one of fidelity and obedience, virtue, courage, and just bringing so many virtues to the fore that has you know, the ability to transform lives. And that, so that's why I think for all of us here at the Knights of Columbus, we're so hopeful that this film can, uh, can touch lives, because I think the best way to touch people's hearts is through stories. And, and the best storyteller is Jesus Christ through the use of parables, and that's what we try to do in, in the films we produce. There's not a lot of, that we know about St. Joseph. I mean, there's a little bit in the Bible, but he doesn't even speak. He's not even, his words aren't recorded in, in Scripture. Are, are there any new insights that came out in this documentary, or is there anything about St. Joseph that you didn't know before that kind of came to light or made you think about him in a different way? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good point. I think one of the fascinating things about St. Joseph is, is that he doesn't say any words in Scripture. And there's an interesting point in a documentary made by Mother Mary Agnes Donovan of the Sisters of Life. And she says, well, we do know one word that St. Joseph said. Because on the day of his circumcision, when Jesus Christ was, was circumcised as, as a Jewish uh, person, um, St. Joseph would have had to declare his name. That was part of the custom, part of the liturgical celebration there in the Jewish rite of and, um, and so he would have to say the name Jesus. Wow. And so she makes the brilliant point that, that, that the one word he did say is suffice, because what he was there to do was to protect and nurture and allow Jesus to grow up and, and, and ultimately save the world. Um, but, there was a lot of, but there's a lot of kind of insights, I think, in the documentary that you could tease out about St. Joseph um, and, and his influence throughout history. And just one thing that we, we explore in the film is how Pope Pius XII, the 1955, calls for the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, and how this is to counteract the false ideas of labor and work uh, promoted by communism. 
and uh, and St. Joseph, who is a carpenter, who is somebody who works for a living and endows it with dignity, he becomes kind of the example of how we should really look at uh, human labor as something that's a source of human dignity and not just a cog in a machine the way, say, communists will look at labor. And so just, you know, it's another little interesting way and example to show how St. Joseph's legacy um, and the virtues that we can glean from his life, even though it's not explored in depth in scriptures, has impacted um, history. And so that's why we still have the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. And that's why one of the inspiring examples of how you know, John Paul II um, in his visits to Poland and in his, you know, the way he was able to counteract communism by um, endorsing movements like the Solidarity Movement in Poland to give them a, a real understanding of the Christian idea of labor, labor um, ultimately has its roots in who St. Joseph was and the example he gives to us. So those are just some of the things that I didn't know a whole lot about and took away from, from producing the film. And how can people watch the film? So the, the documentary was completed early October, um, aired uh, on ABC affiliates across the country for a six-week period. Um, that is coming to an end now, and the film will be available on December the 8th, so the one-year anniversary of Pope Francis' Declaration of the Year of St. Joseph will be available on our website. That's kofc.org forward slash St. Joseph. And um, it'll be there streaming live on December 8th. There's also a lot of information there about St. Joseph already. You can watch the trailer to the video. You can watch some excerpts right now. And also there's a lot about the resources the Knights of Columbus has put together uh, where you can learn more about St. Joseph and develop a devotion to him. Um, the full film, which is about an hour long, will, as I said, premiere on December the 8th. And after that, be available for free streaming on our website. Yeah, that's great. Well, our guest today has been David Naglieri, producer of a new Knights of Columbus documentary called St. Joseph, Our Spiritual Father. David, thanks again for being here. Thank you, George. Appreciate the time. God bless. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.